One, two, ten. Welcome to the Claim the Throne Blogcast, coming on you with insights into what it's really like to be in a do-it-yourself metal band in 2014. Who is it? It's Cabba. And Ash. And it's Neil. And you're listening to another podge called the Claim the Throne Blogcast. This week we have another interview for you. Thanks for tuning in. You're going to love it. This is with Alan Smith of Bagak Studios. He is a top-notch Perth engineer slash producer slash full-on legend uh, has been in the industry for many years and done many great things and you definitely yeah get more of an introduction when we start the interview so get comfortable isn't it funny how we don't really sound comfortable at the moment <laughs> we're just kind it's of pretty like funny in stutters i'm not editing this bit of it either oh cool this can stay in without any further ado here is clam a thread <laughs> talking to al smith of begurk <laughs> is that intro acceptable <laughs> What money? Today we're interviewing a legend from the Perth music scene. His name is Alan Smith. He's from Bergerk Studios, so an engineer and producer. Has been trudging away for at least about 15 years, I think. He'll correct me later if I'm wrong. Um, he's, he's recorded and, and worked with over 300 bands, such as Extortion, Miles Away, Devil Rides Out, 11th He Reaches London, Abbey May, Our Faves, Rhino Ted and Hitman. And of course, <laughs> right. you would have heard of Claim the Throne. And Farthing Wheel, how are you going today, Al? Question one. Very good. Thank you very much. No worries. Great to have you here. Well, great to have you here. Ooh, we're at Al's house here in his um, brand spanking new home studio in Mount Helena, WA. And it is pretty awesome. So we're going to be chatting about that as well as a lot of his history and all things music. We've spoken a little bit about you. Do you mind just giving us a background of yourself to the listeners who wouldn't know you, um, how you've got to where you are today and anything you think would be interesting about yourself? All right. Well, I guess I'll start at the beginning. I went to the uh, SAE School of Audio um, back in 1991. So I was 17 at the time, so I went straight there from school. Pretty early on, I'd sort of worked out that um, I wanted to be involved in um, recording music, mainly because I'm a big, big music fan and um, couldn't play any instruments, so I thought I'd get into the technical side. I went to the SAE, and at that point, the school was pretty rough. It was just a tiny little studio above a jeweler shop in East Perth. Yeah, and my lecturer was a guy that did the course the year before, so it was pretty shitty but um as a 17 year old i was pretty happy to just to be involved in it and just take out what i could i guess um probably the best thing i got out of the place was um when my course finished after a year um the elect the head lecturer the manager of the place at the time offered for people to hire the studios out on the, the weekends and to me that was that was great you know i didn't, didn't have any idea about what i was going to do there's obviously no job opportunities you know, going to sae being a graduate from there but um yeah he was um opening the place up and that was something he wasn't supposed to do because he was charging us to hire the studios and pocketing the money himself so but i did that probably i worked out of there probably for two years after that so recording a lot of metal bands in the early 90s so. like like sfd um this is around the allegiance time but i never worked with allegiance back then so it was um bands like akexia uh syndrome sfd bell tempest probably people who were only around at the time will recognize but uh, and then um, the manager of the SAE got busted eventually. Um, so that was, we weren't allowed to use that anymore. Um, but then I found a place in um, Vic Park. Uh, it was actually a recording studio above Music Park, the music store. At the time, they called it the Upper Room. The people that ran it were born again Christians, so the, the Upper Room. But the studio was upstairs above the shop. And um, they were opening that up to freelancers. So I started working out of there. And then I started to do, um, again, some more metal stuff and um, a lot of punk bands. So I started recording bands like Rupture there and um, Samane, an early Perth black metal bands yeah yeah Whoa. you did demo for them there and uh, their album um 
Indomitus? Pretty sure they're Perth's first black metal band. Anyway. Now playing sort of um, very Celtic style, folky black metal. There you go. So I worked from there for a couple of years. And then uh, I guess from there, all of this time was very part time for me. So this was just doing lots of recordings, getting lots of experience, being lucky to have a chance, especially in the upper room, to work in a studio that was pretty much fully fitted out with gear that was down in the shop. You know, so it was almost like a demo place as well as a studio. So I got a chance to use quite a lot of equipment there that I hadn't had a chance to use before. So that was great. But again, after a while, um, just being time limited there and um, having to do some pretty extreme sessions uh, to get projects done because the studio was really only open on the weekends for freelancers. So, um, you know, starting at Saturday 10 a.m. and then finishing up at, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning on Sunday and Hmm. things like that. And that's basically where I first realized that long sessions like that were not for me. <laughs> so once I had my own studio, I started to contain the hours a little bit more doing recordings and stuff. Yeah, I worked out of there for a couple of years and then was getting pretty sick of that sort of time constraint. So I decided that I was going to try and get my own gear together. And that was the first time that I started to collect bits and pieces. So just bought an old live desk, bought an 8-at-8 track machine and just started to do mobile recordings from there. Uh, and at the time, I was working with a band called Rupture A Lot. They're pretty crazy guys. They somehow managed to stumble upon an auction that was... Um, for a deceased estate and it had a lot of recording gear there. So they ended up buying a 16-track reel-to-reel machine and an 8-track reel-to-reel machine for like dirt cheap from this auction. And I did a little deal with them where I'd do all their recordings for free and I got to use their 16-track one-inch machine. So I started to take that around to people's houses to record with mobile recording. So it was about 100 kilos. Yeah, and I had a system where I had a van and a ramp and I would just, because it was on wheels, so I was just wheeling it in and out of people's houses and doing recordings like that, which was pretty funny to look back on that. That was no way to to treat a tape machine because it's supposed to be aligned and stuff all the time, but that was awesome. Awesome thing to have. (laughs) Yeah. A lot less portable than what we've got going on over there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's amazing. Like moving furniture all the time. But I was just collecting little bits and pieces of gear and I was never had enough money to um, buy anything really expensive. So I was always testing the waters with fairly cheap gear and I would buy something, a couple of mics and, and use them for a while. And if something wasn't cutting it, then I'd sell it on again and, and get something else. And in the end, I had a what I thought was a pretty good collection of just stuff that wasn't very expensive, but it was all did its job really well. And, and um, I started to learn, as one of the biggest lessons I learned, I think that um, it's not... The equipment that you're using, it's, it's how you use it and how you get to know it that really counts in the end. Mm. Everything works well at something. And even if it doesn't, if you, you get to know its faults and, and what it can't do, then that's the thing. I mean, that, that's part of the process, you're working out what, what's going to work in a recording situation and what's not. And, mm. and getting to know things like your speakers. You may not have $10,000 speakers, but if you're listening to music through them all the time and you've got headphones and other things to cross-reference, then you know, you're going to be able to get your mixes to where you want them to be. So, so yeah, so in the end, I had a, a collection of equipment that I had in a couple of road cases, and I was doing that for a couple of years, just recording people in jam rooms and stuff like that. So. Uh, and then uh, I moved into my first premises, which was inside um, R&R rehearsal rooms. Well, it wasn't even a jam room at the time, but I'd been playing in a few bands. We'd been rehearsing there. And Michael, the owner, it was basically just a space without a roof. It was just a, a junk room, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him saying that I was been looking for a, a place to move into. And he, he basically built the room for me down there and then charged me $70 a week to have the space. And it was, it was a great place to to start out for someone like me as a premises because if I wasn't busy at all, then I was just paying $70 a week in rent just for that one room. But if I was recording bands, then I would hire the two rooms next to me. So the owner of the place would get money from me when I was hiring rooms. And when I was busy, then he was getting more rent from me. But when I wasn't busy, yeah, essentially I could you know, just get away with paying 70 bucks a week and, and have all my gear down there. The other bonus who I thought moving in there was just the fact that I'm always talking to bands, you know, people jamming there all the time and getting a chance to meet a lot of people. 
Uh, I was there for probably five years, and in the end, it probably flipped around a little bit. In the end, most of the bands that were going down there were people that I knew or people that I'd recorded that were coming down to jam there. So in the end, it ended up being just a bit of a McGurk jam room, really, more than, more than anything else. But eventually, I outgrew that. And, and I guess at that point, I was on the verge of making recording and mixing bands a full-time job for me. So I moved into R&R in 1999, and I moved out in 2004. So uh, keep in mind that I went to SAE in 1991. So between 1991 and 2004, it was all part-time stuff. So still working in shitty jobs, like driving forklifts and stuff like that, just to, to pay all the bills and stuff. Uh, but then when I moved into the Rivervale Studios in 2004, that's when it was um, a full-time job for me. And I was there for like nine years, so recording heaps and heaps of good bands. And, and it was a big space. It was um, close to a red rooster. And, uh, <laughs> now here we are. Yeah. Mount Helena, yeah. Which is a cool little mixing room yeah. that you built yourself. What a cool story. And I guess um, let's get this out of the way. I'm reading exactly yeah, what Cabo yeah, wrote. Yeah. Can you tell us about the massage parlor next door? Oh, I have it back, Riverbank. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, that was interesting because I moved into the, the building in Rivervale and um, I sort of shared a car park with another business that was a sewing business, I think, at the time. So I'd probably been in there for about a year and then they moved out into a bigger building around the corner. So the building up the back was empty. Eventually, someone was there starting to, to fit it out, and I had no real idea what was going on up there. There was no signs going up or anything like that. Um, but one weekend, um, I was recording a band, and they had gotten to the studio early, and uh, an Asian lady came out and uh, into the car park. This guy was just sitting in his car reading his newspaper, just waiting for me to come and open up. And um, she leaned in his window and asked him what he was doing there, and he just said, oh, I was waiting for Al. And um, she, <laughs> she said, oh, well, uh, do you want a massage? And um, he said, uh, not really. And then, <laughs> then she gave the, I don't know, is it the universal <laughs> universal sign for a um, happy ending massage? Like you, gesture. you want a massage? <laughs> you want to come up here? You want a massage? And um, yeah, so he freaked out a little bit and didn't know what to do. He said, oh, no, no, no. And um, yeah, basically from there, for the next sort of three or four years, um, I was sharing a car park with an Asian brothel. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> did any of you, we've asked you this before, but yeah, for the listeners, did any of the bands take that? Up. Uh, look, there was heaps of bravado around it. You know, everyone's always talked about it and it was hilarious. People would sort of, you know, have a joke about it and that sort of thing. But I did actually see one guy go up there, but he wasn't actually in the band. I was recording a band where two brothers were in the band and they had a third brother and he worked up in the mines. And he came down to the recording studio because they were staying in a hotel just up the road, <laughs> you know, just getting ready for a week of shenanigans while they were yeah, away yeah. from, you know, the mines. Yeah, so they came down, they were hanging out at the back and, and someone mentioned that it was a brothel at the back and... Everyone had a bit of a laugh, but this one guy just went, whoa, just stood up, straight out the back. Really? Yep. He was up there for about 15, yeah. 20 minutes, came back down, <laughs> and it was just like second nature to him. Like, obviously, he'd been visited plenty of um, those sort of places before, and uh, he seemed to think that it was an okay place. So Fair enough. Yeah. Got his money's worth. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was a very dodgy place because, unfortunately, a lot of the girls, you saw, you hardly ever saw them unless they rocked up in a taxi and they were carrying suitcases. So, And obviously, Rivervale was on the route from the airport straight into town. So yeah, that's a sad story. A drummer from a band that I recorded actually works as a carpet cleaner and sort of about three weeks before he came into the studio with his band, he'd actually been in the building because uh, I'd never actually been in there. When you look through the door, there's just a little, you can't really tell what's in there. There's just like a little reception area and that's it. Yeah, he'd actually been in there to clean all the carpets and he basically confirmed for me. He was, he was in there at five o'clock in the morning that all the girls were living up there, um, sleeping there oh, and just showering shit. and stuff up there. So 
probably five or six girls at a time. And then eventually, I guess, you would see some leave every now and again, but they wouldn't really generally w- walk around at all. So, so I don't really know what was going up there, but it's pretty sad. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sad. pretty seamy and pretty sad. Yeah, but it was um, definitely hilarious for everybody. I was playing, got a bit sick of hearing about it after a while. Yeah, but. of course, of course. Sorry about asking the question. No, no. no. <laughs> um, they got closed down eventually, so they got dubbed in plenty of times, but managed to fight it off for a long time through the courts and that and they just they were just blatantly open for four or five years oh well and now it's all cleaned up down there and you're gone so yeah that's right yeah yeah well i was there for nine years and um in the end moving out of there was uh, a combination of a lot of different factors one was um extreme rental prices in perth i'd come to the end of my i had basically a, a long lease i had a six-year lease and added an, an extra three years so at the end of the nine years the owners of the building were going to jack up the rent to extreme levels so so i wasn't really interested in um negotiating with them over that it seemed to be pretty set on the idea they were going to be able to get a lot more money out of the place so i had a pretty good deal rent wise there that's what you know so that's one of the good things about the building the other thing was um my wife has got three uni degrees and she wanted to restart her career and I thought it'd be good to give her a chance. So I'm now like the stay-at-home parent in the family. So building this room out here enables me to, during the day, look after the kids and make sure they get to school and that sort of stuff. And then um, at nights and early in the mornings and stuff, I come down here and do some mixing. Cool. Which mm. is a pretty uh, serene time, I'm gathering, to yeah, yeah. get this sort of work done. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm doing it that way as well at the moment because I've still got my youngest daughter's only three still. She goes to kindy next year. So once I get her out of yeah. <laughs> out of the house and I'll be down here all the time but yeah so at the moment that's why the place is in air conditioning actually because mostly I'm down here late at night yeah so you mentioned in your history you mm. weren't afraid to test out and use and embrace cheaper gear no not at all and that's something that definitely in this just from a hobbyist perspective everyone's trying to buy the most expensive stuff yeah yeah and you know it's easy to get wrapped up in that yep for myself even and yep. as you see i'm still running with my old faithful dirty mbox too yeah yeah and you know there is obviously quality gear out there and stuff so yes do you have any advice on sourcing cheaper stuff today with the internet and um lots of blogs and, and lots of even review sites about gear and that sort of thing. I mean, places like um, forums as well, I guess. Gear Sluts is a classic one, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I used to read a lot of stuff in there all the time. Not so much anymore. But So you hear about good things about certain things like a mic and it might be fairly cheap. So grab it, use it for a while. And if it doesn't find a place or, or something, then I always used to move it on. So I always had probably 12 to 15 microphones all at one time. And I guess you know, a lot of recording studios would probably have a crazy amount of microphones. But mm. if you would look at my microphone list from five years before to now, you would see that the list had actually changed a fair bit. There'd probably be five or six mics would be the same and the rest would be mm-hmm. moved on and changed around. So... Yeah, in, in terms of that, I think it's always good because you could just try things out for a while if it doesn't cost too much. That, that's a good thing about cheap gear, I guess. Buy something that's cheap, it's not going to break you. And if it doesn't work, then just sell it, get something else. Yeah. <laughs> and keep going around until you find a, a, you know, a good kit bag of stuff that you know works well or that you're happy with. And you also do the, um, the modifying sort of things yes. to get the most out of yeah, especially cheap microphones stuff. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, microphones was a big one. So I've still got one of my favorite mics. Is a, um, it's a cheap CAD tube condenser. Which sounded okay, but um, yeah, I had it modded by a guy over east for you know to to change the valve circuit and stuff, and then I replaced the capsule and just dicking around with things like yeah, that, you know. Yeah. But there's plenty of places where you can source parts, and and I'm not, I don't, you know, do sort of circuit board electronics myself, yeah. but soldering in a capsule or or on those sorts of basic stuff is always really good. Mm. Um, but yeah, plenty of mics that just have little basic flaws, and that can be sort of you know, a classic one is ribbon mics where. 
you get the cheap Chinese ribbon mic for 100 bucks each, buy a $40, what are they called, transformer, you know, good quality transformer from um, Cinemag or, or something like that. Put it in, it's just a case of soldering two wires, that's it. Take the extra grill, metal grills out of the, um, the head basket and bam, you've got amazing sounding mic for little next to nothing. So Yeah. Yeah. So your approach is very, I guess, everything has its place in the studio or else it's not in the studio. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, there's no point having lots of st- – for me, and that was the way I was always operated. I mean, I'm not doing the tracking side of things now, so I've kept a, a small amount of mics that I know um, that I love and I would never get rid of, but the other stuff sort of sold it. And I never had a huge budget for equipment, so if it sat in the cupboard for two months not doing anything – then I sold it so I could get something else. Awesome. And you um, built up a fair whack of stuff as well, um, you know, things like soundproofing, yep. couches, TVs, mic stands, that sort of thing. Did you just sort of take good deals when you saw them um, and yeah, build things yeah. up as you needed it? And if you didn't need it, get rid of it? Yep, yep. The Begurt couch was um, given to me by um, a friend through my nana, actually. She had some friends, old elderly friends. They passed away. They'd bought a couch the month before. <laughs> Lovely so people didn't know it at the time but um yeah it was a couch from a deceased estate cost me nothing so <laughs> yeah there's plenty of shenanigans on that couch punch-ups all sorts of stuff so Ooh, on that do you have any um any crazy stories i know we've heard a few from you before but yeah in regards to people you know having arguments fights drugs anything, anything yeah yeah well, you think the listeners would find entertaining plenty of stuff but um, I don't know. It's, it's funny. You don't necessarily want to name names. Um, but yeah, I've had situations where bands, um, recording sessions haven't gone so well and there's been a lot of tension. And one band in particular sort of ended up the two members of the band having a punch up on the couch while they were in the middle of tracking. And um, that was pretty crazy. But they were a pretty strange band. So plenty more stories I'd love to tell about that band actually, but I won't. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I think they're still going. There was one you told me uh, once, which I thought was very funny, having some high school kids in who tried to pay for their recording session in trips. Yes. Instead of money. Yes. And they went on to be quite well-known Perth <laughs> band, metal band, actually. Yeah, because that, that was very, that was in the young days. That was when I was doing mobile recording and um, I was recording this particular band. This was a band that had been around in Perth oh, s- since that moment. Th- these guys were still in high school. They were a young band. I was playing in a, a shit, very shitty band and we played a Tuesday night punk gig down at the Harborside in Fremantle. We were terrible. And then this young band came on who were playing sort of thrash stuff and this singer, and uh, it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen, I reckon. He just unleashed into this amazing death vocal performance you know through this thing and it in a room full of punks and just weren't really getting it but i thought it was really amazing so i ended up doing some demos for this band this is a band that had about a million lineup changes over a period of about 15 years but um yeah finished the mixing and the guys came around to the house i guess probably parents dropped them off they were in their school uniforms they obviously went to like a christian brothers sort of style high school where they had to wear you know shorts and a blazer that sort of stuff which is pretty funny in itself i think they owed me like 35 bucks and he said oh mate i haven't got any money but i've I've got 20 trips in my pocket. Do you want to? Do you want to just take those? <laughs> At the moment, I was a little desperate for cash, so I thought, oh, no, nah, I'd actually rather the money if that's all right, mate." So yeah, in the end, I got the money off those guys. But um, yeah, I'll never forget that. that was hilarious. So. Nice one. Um, yeah, and, and I guess on that as well, um, having worked with so many bands, you would have seen perhaps some some good habits and bad habits of bands in the studio. Mm. Um, do you have any in particular that you think people might you know get some good ideas out of, or you know, just the best way to to prepare? as musicians before you come into the studio? Yeah, I think um, the best thing is pre-production demos for a, for a start. And especially today, 
Um, it's so easy to do. I mean, even if it just means chucking your phone in the middle of the room and pressing record yeah. and just recording the jams, I think that's very important because one of the things that always amazed me, and, and I guess sort of, sort of makes sense in a way, would be you'd be la- you get to the part where you're laying down guitar tracks and you've got two guitarists in your band and someone plays a part and everyone looks at each other and says, hang on a sec, that's not right. And said, yeah, man, that's, I've been playing it that way for the last six months, you know? And like, well, I've never heard you play that. And said, well, every jam I play that part, you know, what? Because in the jam room when you're playing... You can be practicing, but you're not really, I mean, you can get the overall vibe in the room, what's happening, but you're concentrating on what you're doing yourself. So I always used to tell people to try and um, when you jam, maybe just the, the bass player and the drummer play through the song and everyone just sort of sits back and has a listen. Then the guitarist and the drummer play through the song and sit back and everyone have a bit of a listen. So you get to hear everybody's parts because especially with metal and stuff like that, where it's fairly complex riffs and, and a lot going on and, and, and through the period of a four or five minute song, there's a lot of changes and and different sort of technical stuff i think i was always surprised to hear other band members say they were surprised to hear other people's parts so so that was something that always surprised me i'd always told people to try and record a pre-production demo and that way you can sort of sit back and and have a listen and make sure everyone's on the same page with what they're playing because you can talk to each other about it and that's fine but when it comes to actually playing the song i think sometimes there can be variations and stuff so a lot of bands are recorded hardcore bands especially actually was a technique that first came across when i did some recording with miles away with the they'd come in and record a 10 12 song album two guitar in the band they would break the songs up in half so one guitarist would play all the guitar parts for six songs the other guitarist would play all the guitar parts for the other six songs and that would take away any variations in little things like palm mutes or or, you know stylistically different stuff from Mm. two guitarists playing together they were obviously after a very tight cohesive sound that was you know really really tight no loose parts at all so by one guitarist playing all the parts for half the songs all of the chugs and the you know, the jujits and all that sort of stuff were all, you know, rock solid 100%. So pretty sweet tip, actually. Um, just having recorded ours pretty mm. recently, switching between Dyson and Cabar and the yep. styles, you can really hear it. Um, yeah, that's right. When it's happening. And so, yeah, you've got to be a little bit more involved in or discerning when you say, actually, maybe maybe you play this part yeah. because of the way you play it and stuff. So That's right. And it's something that should never feel, um, well, you're trying to create something. And if you're, if you're, if you're setting something up, if, if you want to create this really tight, you know, intense music and where everything does need to be 100% on the money, then don't let your pride get in the way of saying, oh, well, you do that guitar part because obviously I'm not playing it the same as you, you know. Two guitarists are always going to have slightly different styles. Musicians in general can have certain styles. And that's what you want. You want that variation. Otherwise, everything's really plain and boring and, and that sort of stuff. Never let your pride get in the way of when you're recording if something's not quite working and handing handing the guitar over to somebody else. Or. Yeah, having been from a portable recording background, yep. especially lugging around a tape machine and stuff, yeah. um, I can't imagine you'd want to be doing too much editing and stuff with that. So did that carry through? And sort of what is your approach to recording? I was never one for sitting back, for getting a band to record something, I guess, and then spending the next six hours editing drums. I did that once or twice and it was just always a disaster, especially one band springs to mind where they had they booked a solid two weeks in the studio to to get their recording done, uh, recording an album. Oh, I thought that was pretty pretty good amount of time to get everything finished. Unfortunately, the drummer took the first five days just to do his drum part, which was you know obviously going to always blow out the, the time budget. But then I spent the next three days editing his drums as well, you know. So and it was just such a waste and such a frustrating process. And you listen back to it, and the, the drumming takes on that recording got no feel. They were gridded up, and I guess that was my first experience of really trying to grid something up and really process and edit it all together. So I, I tried to avoid that as much as possible if I could. But yeah, like you say, I mean, with tape machines, you can't do that anyway. So in the early days, that wasn't even on the radar for me. It's funny though. Now I've moved to just mixing. And I have a situation where I've gone from recording in a studio where I had everyone around all the time for every part of the process. That was the way I enjoyed doing things. Now I'm in a situation where no one is with me when I'm mixing. And I'm finding I'm actually gravitating more towards editing up stuff. 
a bit more now and gritting stuff up so oh okay so i'm actually doing it a bit more now but in the mix part of it just recently i had a band they were um actually more of an indie pop sort of bands and i did sort of mix three songs with them and two of the songs were fairly loose and it was the first time i've really actually sat down and used all the, the programs features into gritting things up and editing multi-track drums and, mm-hmm. and working out methods and ways to do that fairly easily without having to physically go through and cut everything so yeah, yeah. so before when i was actually recording i never liked doing a lot of editing yeah now i'm finding that i'll do a bit more of it yeah i suppose and then because that's at your discretion that's right yeah exactly yeah. i'm not i'm not conscious of people behind me sitting there being bored out of their skull while i'm sort of clicking a million times on a one drum part to try yeah, and get it to yeah. fit into place so. for your business these days mm. and you're offering this online style mixing service yeah what are the level of tracks that you're getting from bands because yeah. i'm assuming they record mm. themselves a lot of the time a lot of it is yeah a lot mm-hmm. of it um that band in particular that indie band that they, they'd recorded um themselves at uni i think uh, i'm not sure which one but um, they use Nuendo to record their songs and um, actually came up okay. You know, they didn't sound too bad, but definitely part of what I'm doing at the moment is just adding that extra fidelity to things that probably lacks from, from that sort of stuff. So I've got tracks from, I just got some, <clears throat> finished a project with a band from um, Central Coast, New South Wales. Um, had just had a mate record the, um, the drums for them. Then they sat, went, sat at home and recorded the guitars and vocals themselves. That's come through sounding okay. Um, you know, I asked for specific things like DI guitars and that sort of stuff just to help sort of flesh things out. And in the end, it's come up really good. I guess I'm, I'm getting surprised by the fact of what people can actually achieve at home. I think it's very, very doable, especially if you end up at some part of the chain, ha- getting someone involved that has a lot of ex- more experience because I think experience is probably the only thing you can't you know, do at home necessarily. If you're able to get somebody who's got that experience involved in the project, then I think, yeah, you can do whatever you want at home. I don't think there's any limits anymore. I think everything's changed a lot. And, um, definitely people can achieve really good sounding recordings and doing it at home. It's awesome to hear. And yeah, a lot more bands are doing that these days. Um, you wouldn't have perhaps some ideas on a, a good home setup i mean if they're on a budget perhaps some some good gear they could look to to getting hold of at the bare minimum to get started yeah yeah i think so um well i mean any computer that you buy fairly new these days i mean uh, when computer recording through the history of computer recording i mean i built a lot of my own computers initially you had to really do a lot of research to make sure the motherboards didn't clash with the video driver cards and all this sort of malarkey and um so i had to build i built two computers but but these days pretty much any computer that comes off the shelf is going to do the job okay i think and especially with i don't have such a um familiarity with macs but with the windows stuff if you're using windows 7 or windows 8 there generally tends to be no i mean i was having to do major tweaks to xp machines all the time just to get them running nice and smooth but you can pretty much do it with anything these days so with your basic computer it's just the interface first and there's so many good options out there at the moment i mean my laptop i bought a little two channel focus right scarlet is that yeah yeah scarlet yeah yeah and the latency on that i'm using it with a pretty crappy laptop one that i found in a bin actually and um (laughs) (laughs) someone just chucked out and (laughs) worked i grabbed i grabbed it and um i opened it up and it was basically just they someone had put in two different brand ram sticks right? oh. so they tried to upgrade their machine put a different brand ram stick in and then it didn't work after that so they threw it out so i just took one ram stick out and they worked perfectly after that no so way. so i turned that That's into awesome. a little portable machine yeah mm-hmm. and um so yeah i got the scarlet and the, the latency is not great on it but it'll record for hours and hours and hours without glitching i mean that's mm-hmm. the drivers on it aren't great but again um you're not really going to come across anything that just behaves totally badly so yeah so that that little box is fantastic and that was only 170 bucks and what do you actually use that for these days the laptop yeah when i'm too lazy to come down here and then i'll just oh, sit okay. in the lounge room up there and diddle around or if i'm recording like the piano up at the house are you using the scarlet because of its analog to digital conversion as opposed to just listening straight from the laptop headphone jack or something oh well in terms of well, 
well, it's a record, a recording box, I guess. So yeah. no, but yeah, that's the thing. You can still I still monitor from the headphone jack most of the oh, time, okay. only because I can't be bothered plugging into the box. But yeah. um, essentially, as a recording interface, you know, that's got two mic pre's in it with phantom power and pad and everything you need mm-hmm. just to record a stereo feed of something. So that 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 little box could be great for um, any sort of overdub tracking at all and, and monitoring as well. But you can still use your headphone jack of the laptop. So in terms of a small box, people are going crazy about talking about conversion and no. chips and all of this kind of stuff. But I mean, I'm just looking at your setup here and I know yeah. the that M Audio profile that's you know yeah. it's an older recording interface. Yeah, it's obviously been still running fine. It's still a current model too. Like M Audio still sell it. So yeah. um, and it's it's really like cheap too. It's affordable. Yep. You can pick them up secondhand for probably four hundred bucks, I reckon. I mean, yeah, I, I use that as that was my main studio computer interface for years like six or seven years because i had the two of the behringer convert you know the adat boxes that went with it so it gave yep. me 24 tracks in and out and it worked flawlessly for years so. did you ever tinker with the behringers like did you upgrade them or do no i never did but read about it plenty of times yeah, yeah yeah but i mean you can even even the m audio profile 2626 i mean pre's in it are okay like it's got eight preamps eight in- analog inputs so it's a perfect thing just by itself if you wanted to track some drums or stuff like that eight inputs is fine you know to, to get away with um it's got two headphone sends as well but the headphones sends aren't fantastic you know they're a bit crisp they're a bit toppy don't have a lot of bottom end in them so i would never use them but if you really got keen you could always send it to black lion audio they do a full mod on, on yeah. it and apparently it sounds amazing oh really yeah like it's full on i have no Just need for that necessarily and the cash as well yeah yeah they're not cheap necessarily yeah so that yeah so that's really interesting you say behringer and that's a dirty word these days yep yep um i know owen from point breakdown yep he got away with using a behringer mic a condenser mic and a behringer pre and it sounds his recordings improved out of sight well you just got to know what it does well and what it doesn't because i had those two converters i think they were the ada 8000 i think basically they would just be mic or line inputs that convert to adat so it gives you eight extra channels per unit so i had two of those units so i did an extra 16 but the the mic preamps on them are pretty bad, so I never used to use them for mic pre's. But as for a line in, as long as you didn't have the gain set, you know, you were smart with where you had the gain set, they were fine. Yeah. Especially clocked to the profile, I, I never had any issues with them and, and they were fine. And so I used to use the preamps at my desk uh, and then just line in straight to those. And um, yeah, they were absolutely amazing units. Mm. And there's a little bit of talk about you know, that some of them fail, but I had two and I had them for at least seven or eight years and neither of them failed on me. They were, they were fine. They were both fully working when I sold them. Yeah. Yeah. And you must get such a sense of satisfaction knowing that you're doing what everyone else is on such a lower budget and, mm. you know, the results you're achieving sound like top market, you know. There's that, but there's also um, you watch people come and go over the years as well. You know, I was working full, full time in the studio for nine years and um, met plenty of people who forked out 40, 50,000 bucks on a loan to, to buy their basic set of gear. Uh, and then within two years, you know, something would come up in their lives and they needed some cash uh, and the loan was too much and they had to bail. So they lost, yeah. you know, they, they sell everything and get out again. So in and out. So my plan was always to be involved, whether it was for love or money, no matter what, because it's something that I enjoy doing so much. So I would never risk it all by doing something stupid financially. You know, so that's why I ended up yeah. becoming the, you know, just, just making sure I was very smart with what I was buying and that it was working fine. And once I had a working setup, then I would stick with it. I wouldn't rush to the, uh, which seems to be a pretty common thing at the moment, rush to be um, upgrading everything all of the time to try and get to the latest and the best and the fastest. I mean, if you had something, it was, I had a studio setup that was recording 24 track, 48 kilohertz, and you could set it to record and it'd still be recording three days later. 
with not a glitch and yeah. i had that same setup for seven seven eight years so i've only actually now just upgraded the new computer good to have that extra power but you know it wasn't something i rushed to i did a lot of research about it before i made sure i had the coin i mean that's smart business sense isn't it yeah well that's the thing i mean i was trying to make it uh, something that was i was earning my living from that so i couldn't afford to have costs sky high you know make sure i had a good setup and everyone was happy with the results coming out of the place and um there was no need to go insane there's also a new old gear kind of thing vintage yeah. is back and all of this stuff like yep. how do you compete with that using the more affordable gear you know how do you circumvent having to go down that costly route of buying like neve pre's and all yep. this extra analog stuff summing and all of this Crap. the problem with that stuff is it sounds good but you still have to know how to use it that's the thing there, there's still downfalls to that sort of gear mm. you know the neve preamps will do do a certain thing but that's not always the best all the time you don't necessarily want a thick full sound on absolutely everything you do so it's almost a bit dangerous to go down that path i mean i was you hear a lot of people were experienced engineers about oh, i was back in the day when i was you know tubes around and they were a pain in the ass because they were so noisy and when solid state gear came in you know everyone was really excited because the noise factor was gone and, and all that sort of stuff and it's only now people are realizing that something else disappeared as well but i also used tape machines and things like that and tape machines had advantages and they also had a lot of disadvantages so i was happy when it came time to <laughs> getting rid of it because there were some things about it which were an absolute nightmare i don't think preamps make as much difference as the source so if you were after an old warmer guitar sound or a more old school guitar sound and get an amp that's got that sort of characteristics more than anything i think it's probably yeah. a better way to go i don't think the focus should be on the mic preamp necessarily or mics probably a little bit different because I, I tend to think mics probably have more character to impart on a sound than anything else i don't think preamps play such a big part in it so um yeah i think it's more about getting the sound right at the source and i guess if, if people want that sort of retro sort of stuff then the software side of it comes in as well now I guess. so you can replicate a lot of that with your plugins and yeah i think yeah i think you can you can get in the ballpark depending on what people want yeah and it's funny too because studio time costs money yeah and does. all that gear costs so much money and yeah. so if you want a fifty thousand dollar recording you're still paying 50 grand for it these days yeah that's right you know so yeah. Yeah. getting something that's really good quality on a shoestring that that's in the ballpark is unbelievable yeah me, that's I right like, yeah and there's things that are out there yeah you just got to research and be a bit of a, a gear nut i guess and just just look nerd. into things a bit yeah gear nerd. yeah that's right <laughs> so i mean um the ability to mod things and and circuit designs of classic old valve mics are, are out there for people to read schematics and stuff like that and it's so easy to to, to mod something that's been made you know today to to get a certain sort of vibe to it so and i know that's something i did a lot of i've never owned a neumann but i've got some great you know modded mics that all had a similar sort of feel um to what those certain mics you know br bring to a recording you know u87s or u47s or whatever so i just got to research i mean i had a couple of preamps that were um chinese knockoffs of of a certain product um there was law courts going through you know this this factory it was a big company this factory made the products for the known company and then on the sideline basically kept making the boxes once the contract ran out <laughs> and then started selling them a lot and i picked up two of those for very very cheap and they effectively i've had them in to a guy to service them who had serviced the originals and he said mate there's probably the quality of the parts in this chinese box some of them are actually better than the original you know if, if you do your research and you'll be able to find things that work well and in the day and age today about manufacturing and stuff like that there's plenty of stuff that all has low noise specs in part character as well yeah. it's funny you mentioned that because i've noticed on ebay they've been up there for quite a while but that mm. same preamp yep. is on there some guy must have bought up a crap load of them because yes. he's got more than 10 available but he's selling them about i think with postage you'd get them for 360 bucks yeah. which yep. is still what, yeah it's pretty good for what it is because they do sound amazing so um but yeah the thing was because there was lawsuits in america over that particular box so i'm pretty sure the market got flooded in australia because it's probably the only place legally they were able to sell them for, yeah. a, for amount of time i think that's finished now 
but yeah it's cool that you can these days just go out there and yeah if you're if you're willing to do a little bit of research you can come away with yeah that's some right. pretty amazing stuff but it's pointless loading up on a, a bunch of stuff if you're not sure what you're going to need it for so mm. you definitely should be trying to find when you're looking for new equipment you should be buying stuff that you need something that's come up in the process that you think all oh, right okay what i've got here is letting me down now i definitely need something here to fix that up whether it's trying to record vocals and the mic i've got is way too bright and i'm using ds's all the time to try and correct the problem just try and go out and find a mic that is voiced differently you know darker sounding mic there's plenty of them out there they'll brag about being darker sounding and you know not not so top endy and stuff like that and you'll find them and there's little companies in america and all over the place that are selling mics that have been made in china but they're designing them themselves and they're putting the specs into them and they're great because they, they fill a little niche little niche market so and how do you find out about this stuff are you still active reading or is it like yeah yeah just forums and magazines and forums and just product reviews i guess um different places so always keep an ear out climbing the thorn lightning round climbing the thorn lightning round we'll smash out a few real quick ones and get ash to put a chipmunk effect on all our voices project or release that you've worked with and most proud of your work on that uh, it's a tough one i'm, I'm pretty proud of oh, yeah it's gonna be a hard one for a short answer sorry um i'm pretty proud of everything that i do when something i record or mix or or anything like that it get is starting to get good reviews and a lot of attention from people that's always a bonus but in terms of um something that i'm proud of i mean it's pretty much always the last thing i do to be honest like i've just finished working with a young band from new south wales and um they're a great sort of power violence bands that there's quite an interesting scene in newcastle over there at the moment with those guys they're all fans of extortion and, and bands like shackles and stuff like that which are bands that i've worked with before so that's how i ended up working with them because they were fans of those bands so yeah they're a great band i've just finished mixing for a seven inch and it's um five songs and it's all over in like six minutes but it's really intense and really fast and i love it like it's sounding what really are they good. called so they're called choke oh like the perth band yeah not the choke <laughs> which is another band that i worked with from perth and they've just broken up unfortunately but yeah choke favorite microphone uh sm7b favorite mic setup for drum techniques yeah um uh, i always I well <laughs> Overheads for me was always XY rather than AB, so not a spaced pair because um, I was always very conscious about phase with drums, so I would always try and mic things up with the least vulnerability to phase problems. Favourite producer? Yeah, I was always a fan of Steve Albini because I felt he always had the same sort of attitude to recording that I did, which was get things set up, get some good sounds, get the band comfortable and let them do their thing and try not to interfere too much. So um, I probably find now that I'm mixing projects that i haven't been involved in the recording thing i'm being much more creative and having a lot more input into that sort of stuff which has been a nice surprise for me so back when i was recording or all the time i guess yeah that would that was my basic attitude i wanted to make sure that the band if they needed some inspiration for something or, or, or an idea that i was there to give it to them but essentially i was just trying to capture what they were doing so, so he, he always has that aesthetic favorite audio resource website or magazine well i use a, a door called samplitude and uh they have an awesome forum actually which is um mainly just about their program and everyone bitching about it but <laughs> at the same time i've learned a lot of stuff from there with people posting up different ideas and methods and, and stuff Sweet. like that so that's a good one yeah. cool uh favorite studio drink uh definitely coffee filtered filtered got pod coffee <laughs> uh favorite meal at red rooster uh yeah that was um the strip sub until they changed it to the um some other cheesy name what was that uh the ripper the Ripper sub, yeah. 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 I sort of went Jim's off it after actually. that. Is it? Ripper. So that was always a good one. Yeah, I guess that's just given me some ideas. You said before, if you want a vintage sound yeah. with your guitar, you might use a different amp. Yeah. Um, so you're still very much mic up old school. Well, I, I yeah. have been. I have been. But seeing as um, the work I do essentially is all mixing and mastering now. So now that I've moved to this setup here at home in the shed next to the chickens. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And the sheep. 
And the sheep, yep. Um, essentially, I'm getting all sorts of crazy, like we touched on before, different recordings from people and stuff. Um, so I have been in the past very much a, when I was in control of the recording process of trying to capture things the way they should sound straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I am in a situation where I don't have control over that. So now I have to utilize much more crazy ways of trying to inject that sort of fidelity into things, which in, yeah. can involve um, DI guitar tracks and, and stuff like that. So I guess I'll probably, I mixed my first projects two weeks ago that was recorded fully on MIDI drums and purely DI guitars, no amps at all. Luckily, it was a band um, who happens to have a drummer who's one of the best birth drummers around, a guy called Riley, who's in the hardcore scene. So this band is a new band called Bounty Hunter. And um, yeah, they, they recorded with an, a guy who was um, an old work experience dude of mine, Glenn, and he had, uh, they just recorded in his house and they'd but fully used a full MIDI setup for drums, including cymbals and everything. Mm-hmm. And I was just dreading mixing that. But in the end, yeah, it sounded pretty amazing. But I think a lot of it came down to the drummer himself, like, because I listened to those tracks and I didn't hear MIDI drums, you know, I heard real playing. So it wasn't a case of me gritting anything up. They weren't programmed in, but mm. so that was still interesting. But yeah, DI guitars and um, using amp simulators and stuff like that is definitely something I've been doing much more of lately. So possibilities are good. I mean, I still lo- love to have a recorded amp and I'll blend some other stuff into if it needs to be thickened or whatever. So. Yeah, but I guess because you're getting these things from home, it's always the safest option yeah. to be DIing stuff. That's right. Yeah, if I can, yeah. if I can, inge- if I can make requests before, like if I know I'm going to be mixing a project that hasn't been recorded yet, then I'll put in a list of requests of things that I'd like to, to hopefully get. So and do bands do that? Yeah. Yep. Oh, cool. Yep. So DI guitars, and um, that's probably the main thing, really, and making sure the bass. I've got a DI bass track as well. Yeah, um, not yeah. that I necessarily use the DI sound so much, but it's just much more flexible. To have that as well as an amp sound. Where were your first mix project after moving out of Rivervale? Yeah, pretty much, I think. Yeah, because, yeah, it was definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah the yeah. album, that's right. We had problems tracking yep. with our stuff and um, a lot of the requests we made sound-wise to you were not made possible because of how we recorded at home. But um, yep. you obviously managed to get what we wanted based on the DI stuff. And yeah. even with guitars, we tried to reamp and we screwed that up. And Yeah, well, reamping's tough because... You still got to have a an amp that you're happy with the sound of in the first place, uh, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- reamping is good in theory. When you say reamping, I always think of the the technique that first I first heard of probably ten years ago, where you take the DI from the recording session, run it back through a reamping box, and plug it into your guitar amp again, and then mic the guitar amp up. That was something I utilized a fair bit, I guess, early on. But then once the actual amp software amp sims started to pick up their game and actually sound better you know than they did a time ago it's almost not worth reamping yeah. necessarily anymore because you just use the di on it with a, an actual amp simulator so and and how do you still make an album sound realistic if everything is di coming from a studio where you had awesome live rooms yes and, yes that was a big yeah, advantage like yeah. how do you has it been hard to transition yeah yeah to a degree um yeah because i love to hear that sort of space around a drum kit like that's mm. for me that was always a big part of it and that's why i kept my rooms fairly live but i mean over the, the last couple of recordings i've been getting a just been done in a pretty dead jam rooms and stuff i guess or we're in pretty live lounge rooms but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but that's different like um didn't hear a lot of the uh, the drums you recorded were in, in your jam room the first time i've ever mic'd up a kit myself yes yeah. yes yeah i know <laughs> desperate days desperate days <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the results were great you know and it's because um because you had an idea but you like you'd never mic'd up a kit before but you've been involved in recording sessions and stuff like that so it's, 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 it's just about having a bit of knowledge what do you think are essentials for home people if you were going to mix a project and a band came to you and said we want to achieve this from our recording should we buy like a channel strip 
like a, yeah, sure. an EQ, should they utilize those things or is it a bit dangerous because if you don't have the experience tracking with compression the EQs? Yep, I would probably say, yeah, if, if you're just starting out and you're looking to do it's a pretty ambitious thing to record yourself, mm. then don't complicate things, that's for sure. I'll just keep it fairly straightforward. A mic in front of an amp and, a, and recording a DI box is fine. Um, with recording drums, it's probably a little bit trickier. But you can pretty much get away with some basic stuff that'll help you out. And I think, you know, close mics and, um, and you know, not going too crazy with over stereo overheads and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that phase comes into it, I think, is a big one. So um, I'd say don't complicate things. Or I would just buy a range of five or six microphones that will cover pretty much anything that you might need to come across. If you're looking to multi-track drums, then obviously you need an interface that can handle that. So something that's got eight channels probably. And then I wouldn't bother too much about maybe get one or two preamps if the budget allows you know to cover a few different things but they're probably only going to be mostly handy for vocals um you're not going to be able to have a, a rack of stuff for everything so mm. um, make sure that whatever you get you know what it's about so if you've got a, a an interface like the m audio i've got here it's got fairly clean preamps so if i was going to track something here then i'd be happy enough to use those on toms and maybe even overheads and stuff like that but if i wanted a, a bit of a thicker kick sound or something then i might buy something specially for that but as long as you understand what you've got and then when you go and buy some extra gear, get something that's purposefully a lot different. But yeah, I wouldn't buy channel strips um, and maybe get a compressor that's fairly neutral if you're going to just to maybe handle the technical side of clipping more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, for vocals and stuff like that, apart from that, yeah, I'd just probably avoid. So it is about it. being safe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 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 just being safe. And the main advantage of recording at home is um, to give yourself the comfort and relaxed atmosphere of doing your takes. And I'm sure this is something you guys experienced a lot because I listened to that album and I can't imagine putting myself in those recording sessions at all because yeah. I just think, holy shit, how the hell did you guys do all of that? But you, it's about being comfortable and um, getting the takes. I think that's the main thing about recording at home. So yeah. um, the sound stuff, as long as everything's okay and doesn't sound too bad, you know, like you're not fucking up in terms of clipping everything and stuff like that, then I think you're going to be okay. Concentrate yeah. on your performances, I think, is the main thing. Too. Yeah, sweet. Um, maybe a quick rundown of your gear here and sort of yep. what you use it for. First and foremost is a monitoring, I suppose. So I've got Atom A7X monitors, um, which I've had for a few years now, and I'm very comfortable with them. Um, I also have a little Behringer. These are fairly new. It's a Behringer version of the classic Auratone little cube speaker. Um, that's for checking mixes in mono and, and checking mixes in lo-fi. So. Which you do for every mix. Yeah, that's I a do. Big part of your... Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. Especially probably in the last... Since I've just been mixing just mixing projects then i've definitely i've got i'm always going between those the little behringer speaker and my akg headphones i guess the one thing about this room i'm pretty happy with the sound in this room one thing about this room and i can't really work out what's going on there is the um i'm still tweaking a little bit is the stereo field is a little bit small in here for Mm -hmm. some reason so um i never used to mix with headphones at all now i'm mixing with headphones check things like panning uh guitar panning and stuff like that uh, and drum panning and stuff so i make sure i've got everything covered and then also got a stereo just the stereo up at the house which i'll always i won't send anybody anything until i've played it back through there sat down in the lounge room and listened to it as well so i guess that's the monitoring side and that's the most important part for me i think you got to know what you're hearing and be comfortable with what you're hearing so the m audio profile 2626 which is clocked to a black line audio micro clock too I mean, how important is something like clocking? Well, I, I originally bought it because I had the, the M-Audio Profire and the two Behringer units. And yeah. um, connecting those three together with ADAT alone was okay, but there's little phase issues between each unit. So let's say you've got two mics on one guitar amp mm-hmm. and you haven't worked out you're plugging in very well and you've got um, one mic coming in 
number eight on the profile and the other mics come in number one on one of the Behringer units, they always used to be a bit smeary, mm-hmm. not not sample accurate. So, so I bought the microclock so that all three units were rock solid. They weren't using their own brains. They're using that one timing sort of brain. So people go on about how crisp and clear the everything sounds with the clock. You know, I, once I got it, I just started using it and I haven't not used it. So I've never really gone back and worried about it too much. I still use it now, even though I don't have any extra units. So it's just habit more than anything. Yeah, so, okay. So I think... Having a work clock thing is good if you're going to have multiple interfaces working together. I don't know if it's so necessary if you just got one unit. Another one of those internet trends maybe yeah, that sort yeah, of started sure. up and then still people rave about a bit, but I think it's hard to pick the differences really. I just have it there as a safety thing really. Uh, and then I've got a, a PC computer, which um, actually uh, the first time I bought a computer already assembled, a Hewlett-Packard workstation computer. So they're built to be on, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Got good components inside and it just runs like a dream for me now. It's very quiet as well, so perfect machine. Um, but I bought that second hand. And the rest of the stuff i got here is really just left over from tracking days. I've got my my Ready Tube DI, which um, I use for just tracking my own bass tracks while mucking around with some music. I have a warm audio WA12 preamp, which is just something I bought once I sold all my other gear. I just wanted one preamp to use. It had a different flavor to the clean ones that are in the M Audio, so mm-hmm. I haven't really used it enough. To and this is personal use stuff, right? Yeah, this is just stuff I oh, have just yeah, for myself. Cool. So. Awesome. I have done some vocal recording here with a friend, but that's not something that I'm doing for people at all. So once my three-year-old goes to kindy next year and uh, I've got a bit more free time, then um, I might look at get back, getting back into tracking a bit. But for now, it's just the mixing side of things. So uh, yeah, the rest of the stuff really is just the room and the treatments in here just to yeah. make sure that the space is... Thing. And the um, and the treadmill as well, especially for those late-night <laughs> sessions where you feel like you're falling asleep, you jump on. And oh, do you really? No, not at all. Oh, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> awesome, so It's pretty man. simple, pretty simple setup. Yeah, well, it is a home setup, but in a mm. professional level home setup. Mm. And yeah, that's awesome that you can manage to transition from a place where you've got all these overheads and stuff to your home and yes. raise your kids. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yep, so it's good. And it's been really good, like I said, because um, I'm, I'm definitely working a lot different than I was before. So after being in the business for so long and doing things a certain way, uh, it's been great to freshen things up. I'm definitely approaching things from a much different perspective. And I feel like um, I'm definitely injecting more of my own creativity into things now than I probably was before. Well, I guess the uh, biggest question for anyone who's listened to this is um, how do they get in contact with you for mixing work? And yep. where can they hear about you and hear your work? Uh, yep, I guess um, probably the website, which is um, www.bergerkstudios.com, um, B-E-R-G-E-R-K, Facebook page, emails, phone numbers, that sort of stuff on the website. So Awesome. Probably the best place to go to. Yeah, cool. And what services do you offer these days? Yeah, um, mixing. Um, and like I said, I've, I'm working with a range of different projects recorded at various different things. So I've had bands who have recorded in full studios and um, just interested in working with me in terms of mixing it. I have uh, a lot of work from bands who are recording themselves and just need that extra sheen or spark to finish things off. They've done all the tracking and done all the hard work and made sure that they got the performances down and it's just me finishing things off. So mixing and then mastering side of things as well with the advent of i guess cds dying off uh, a lot more people are pressing vinyl so um i do a lot of vinyl mastering which is slightly different than digital mastering so yeah so vinyl digital all that sort of stuff awesome man thanks heaps you've been a barrel of knowledge done tons of uh, great things and, and it's yeah awesome to hang out and i'm sure everyone out there has learned a lot and um yeah they'll course be able to make up their own minds as to what works for them and what doesn't and definitely yeah. take all of your advice on board so thanks heaps and you may have picked up there that al is also the man behind the mixing and mastering of our latest album forged in flame which you did a great job on and perhaps we can go out with one of our songs do you have a favorite claim the throne song mm. yes yes i think i do 
Um, yeah, it is Zephyrus, I think. It's very, very catchy number. Consider it done. If you ever want to redo the vocals with you singing, you're welcome to access the tracks. And well, I was going to play it. Well, no. I've, well, I've got the tracks, remember? So. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got my kids singing on the latest Ooh. one I did. Yeah, so. <laughs> Thanks heaps again. It's been really awesome. And yeah, people out there, if you want to get in touch with Al, make sure you do that. You can find all the show notes at claimthrown.net, of course. And um, and yeah, thanks again. No problems. Thank you. Uh, How much do I owe you? Whoa, mama. What an interview. I had a stiffy the whole time. I saw that bulge in your pants, Ash. I'm talking all nerd talk with a bit of a red rocket sticking right out of the side of the shorts. <laughs> Climbing the thorn. Second half of the outro, part two. Oh, whoa, mama. That was a really good interview there with Al Smith of Begurk Studios. Um, you had a good time, Ash. Did you enjoy it? I did. But they enjoy it. Uh, thanks um, to Al, and I hope everyone out there learnt plenty. Um, if you didn't know much about uh, studio and audio stuff, you definitely do now. And if you thought you did, you've just realised that you don't know much about it compared to such a great dude like Al. So thanks for tuning in. Hope you took down lots of notes. If anyone needs some mixing and mastering out there, uh, you can hear a lot of Al's work uh, around the traps. Uh, he's pretty popular. Also goes under the handle Dr. Alien Smith. Uh, he's been around for years and he's worked with awesome acts, as he said, like Miles Away, Extortion and Claim the Throne. He is responsible for recording Ale Tales and Triumph and Beyond and he did do the mixing and mastering on our latest album, Forged in Flame. So obviously they're the best albums in history on Earth. So um, yeah, that just proves how good he is. Yeah, and he's worked with a variety of bands from um, rock and indie stuff through to the heavier black metal, punk, all that sort of stuff. So he's pretty open to anything. So definitely hit him up if you need some work done. Very reasonable rates. Uh, you can get him at begurkstudios.com, which he said. We'll have all of that in the show notes and check it out. Like him on Facebook. And if you do have any questions for him, don't hesitate to hit him straight up or get in touch with us, of course. And if you do have any questions for us in the future, any suggestions for people that we could interview, or even yourself definitely let us know and we'll see what can be arranged and yeah we will definitely have a lot more interviews coming up very soon in the coming weeks um hopefully we'll head back to a standard claim the throne podgy casty very soon hopefully next week Stuart mcgill thanks for the advert here it is come to Stormrider festival you dummies attention perth storm Rider heavy metal festival is coming in your ear pussies and all over your faces on saturday may 24 at the civic hotel in inglewood featuring some of australia's leading power and thrash model bands including five interstate bands black majesty darker half mason Damnations Day in Gorefield and five Perth's best heavy metal bands Silent Night and Force, Psychonaut, Cold Fate and Death Dependent. Tickets are only $25 and available now from Mosh Dicks. Buy a pre-sale and have the chance to win some amazing prizes. For more information, visit facebook.com forward slash Stormwriter Festival. See you there. When is it? <laughs> Thanks, Stu. You rock. Glamathon, poos and piss. Uh, we've got a hot little gig coming up for you on the 18th of May with Flesh God Apocalypse and Septic Flesh, two fleshy bands. And of course, us who have the most flesh of them all. Come and check us out down at Amplifier Bar. Tickets are available through Claim the Throne at claimthethrone.bigcartel.com. Uh, we'll give you a cheaper deal. You can save yourself up to and including 15 or 20 bucks. Who knows? It's definitely cheaper. <laughs> Sure to be an amazing show as well, so don't miss that one. Both of those bands full of flesh and full of entertainment and metal goodness. And our show following that is in Adelaide, South Australia, in Australia, on Earth. Bound for South Australia. Bound for South Australia. And that is the new 
Dad Festival uh, at Fowler's Live uh, coming up on 31st of May with King Parrot, Lord, Vanishing Point, Truth Corroded, Climbing the Thorn, Advent Sorrow, Seabin Kira and plenty, plenty more. So don't miss that one if you're in the area. Hi, Jesse. Hello, Kevin. Sup, mate? Not much. I like your nips. That's my nips talking. Do you want a coffee, Kevin? Yeah, cheers. That'd be nice. So yeah, that's our two shows that are currently announced, but expect some more details on shows very, very soon. Our next show may or may not be in a country other than Australia, so listen closely for that one too. Keep an eye on us on facebook.com slash claimthrone or claimthrone.com or find all of these blogcast details, podgies and articles at claimthethrone.net or search for Claim the Throne on your podcast app or iTunes. Subscribe, leave us reviews. We'd appreciate it. Agreed. Great work, Cabba. 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 Cheers. Thanks. Thanks for having me today, Ash. And um, thanks everyone for tuning in. Hope you had a good time. We'll definitely be back next week. So if you do subscribe to us, you will get a little notification saying, Clam the Throne, have new podcast. Okay, so Al did suggest a little ditty called Zephyrus uh, of ours. He did the mixing and mastering on that song, of course, and he said it was his favourite. Nice little catchy hooks in there. So we're going to play that for you. And then afterwards, we're going to give you a special little treat. And that is our very own friend Tim Clifford who did a vocal session for the band Farthing Wheel at Begurk Studios um, along to some drums that were also tracked there and some other shit recorded at home so that's a funny one and it's an ode to Begurk Bye
Legendary!